for right now, no, no, don't worry. There's nothing to be worried about. They're going to make the playoffs. They have to make the playoffs. There's under any circumstance too much talent on this roster to not make the playoffs. However, however, if they were to lose the game here in California tomorrow, get worried. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning from Los Angeles. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or baseball, I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. The Penguins had a, uh, let's say, eventful, yeah, that's, that's the word, weekend here in the L.A. area, uh, blowing out the Ducks, which they should have. The Ducks can't defend to save their lives. That happened to the tune of a 6-3 to three victory. And then across town, things didn't go nearly so well against the Kings. I really liked the start they had. I really liked a lot about it. And I really didn't like the goaltending. And that's all it took. Because once Casey DeSmith let in a couple of leakers, uh, it was going to be just an impossible task. I mean, the Kings were fresh. They hadn't played in 10 days. They were all geeked up about the uh, strangely overwrought pregame number retirement slash statue ceremony for Dustin Brown. And it just all, to use Mike Sullivan's words, got away from them. And I can respect that. I, I happened to be on that same page throughout covering this game. I thought that the Penguins were doing everything right at the outset. But then a couple of goals go in and it changes what you're doing. It changes the way you need to play because you start chasing the game. And even then they kept going. And then early in the third period, DeSmith gives up the first of Adrian Kempe's four goals, four in a row, by the way, franchise record for Los Angeles. And Sullivan had seen enough, just instantly turned to his right motion to Dustin Tokarski to get in there. The problem with this scenario is that no one can talk about it because that's just the hockey culture. The goaltender is never the problem. The goaltender is never at fault. The goaltender is just that guy that you're always supposed to be battling for. And if he doesn't do well, that's because all the rest of you let him down. Whatever. I don't think that's going to change a hundred years from now. The way people inside hockey talk about goaltending. It's not going to stop me from talking about it however I want, though. And this goaltending of DeSmith's, of Tokarski's, and then the utter absence of a starting goaltender, meaning Tristan Jari with yet another longer-than-expected recovery from an injury, that is a difficult, difficult thing to overcome, no matter how many other things you do right. But I've got two, two reasons why you shouldn't be fretting about anything playoff-related just yet. One is that I'm expecting, don't hold me to this, I'll know a lot more later today when covering the Penguins practice here in L.A., I'm expecting Jari to be back very, very, very soon, possibly as early as tomorrow night in San Jose. And if that's the case, the Penguins will have an NHL-level goaltender in the crease, which will be a welcome development, you would think. The other is that objects 
are not as close as they appear when you look at the NHL's standings in a realistic context, which is to say the Penguins are in fifth place in the Metropolitan Division, which looks really dire. And when you look at the playoff picture, the Penguins are the second of the two available wildcard teams. Also looks really dire because you go right below them in the point totals. Penguins have 61. The Islanders have 60. The Panthers have 58. The Sabres, who everybody thinks is just absolutely awesome, only they don't win nearly enough to back that, have 56. And then you get into Red Wings, Flyers, Senators, and all that other stuff, right? But the teams that are behind Pittsburgh or the two that I would take seriously anyway, meaning the Islanders and the Panthers, the Penguins have four games in hand on New York, three games in hand on Florida. Now, I am not attempting in any way, shape, or form to diffuse the urgency of getting points now. And I am most definitely not attempting to diffuse the urgency a flat-out becoming a better hockey team, principally when it comes to defending. They need to start doing that like now. In fact, they need to get back to it tomorrow night against the Sharks. You'll recall, maybe the biggest egg they've laid on the entire schedule was right before the bye week and the All-Star break back home against these same Sharks, losing 6-4 to four in an absolute embarrassment a team that can't defend at all, a team that really can't do a whole lot of anything right and that has no goaltending. And in fact, they had no goaltending when they had all their guys. Now they might be missing both of their top two guys and get forced to use an AHL recall. So, yeah, this would be very, very, very bad, not just in the points perspective, but also in the, you know, let's become a better hockey team facet. When I talk to these guys, both before and after the games in Anaheim and then here in LA, the consensus was that if you take the last 20 or so minutes of the overtime victory, the comeback against the Avalanche back home, first game out of the break, and you add that in with just destroying the Ducks. 59 shots on goal, 96 shot attempts, 96 shot attempts. That's exactly what you want from your hockey team. And though I know no one will want to hear this in regards to a 6 to nothing loss, the Penguins came out and kept doing that same thing at the start until their goaltender let them down. Now, should they have been as deflated as, as they were? You can say whatever you want about that. So I, I don't get all worked up about it. Here's what Chris Letang had to say to me on that subject when I brought it up with him. At the end of the day, uh, we're looking at the performance, the way we came out. I thought we we, we did a good job in the first. It's just that, um, like I said, it doesn't go your way. You have to stay in the fight. And you don't want the, the score to get too big. So um, you know, we have to shake it off and look at it. Yeah, if you lose, you know, 3 nothing or 9 nothing or 1 nothing or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's still a loss. It's still a loss. 
The only difference in a game like this is that you get behind by such a big margin early that you really don't know what to do with yourself for the final 40 minutes because you're facing, well, actually the only good California team, meaning the Kings, and you know you're not going to have some massive, you know, super dramatic rally. So you're just kind of keeping your head on a swivel and checking the clock. So I, I don't consider that loss to be anywhere near um, the interruption to their nice post-break play that somebody else might. But losing to the Sharks again? Oh, man. Oh, man. When we come back, J1Q, I can't even wrap my head around it. J1Q comes from Tim, who says, How in the name of God does Garrett Rank still have a job? The Crosby misconduct was just icing on the cake. His entire crew, meaning Rank's crew, was in over their heads from the opening face-off in L.A. No one, Tim, associated with the Penguins would argue with a single syllable of what you said, except that they would add in all kinds of F-bombs and other expletives. They hate this guy almost as much as he seems to hate them. And that is never, never a healthy situation, not just for a team and not just for the official, but for the league. Because when that sort of thing happens, it has to get stamped out. Some of you will recall that Chris Kunitz in particular had a really, really rough relationship with Wes McCauley. And McCauley made no secret of the fact that it was right back. So when the rest of the Penguins stuck up for Chris and they were yelling back at him or whatever else, then he started to kind of hate the rest of them too. And he would, in his own way, find a way to make sure that that message came across. Well, the Penguins now believe Rank is that guy. For those of you who didn't stay up until two in the morning, to see that whole event in the third period, Sidney Crosby was cross-checked in the upper back from behind by Mikey Anderson of the Kings. And although Sid's never talked about this, he reacts really, really snarly when he's hit with a stick anywhere from the upper back to the neck. He's extremely defensive and protective, and understandably so, given his concussion history and everything else. He feels like he has to constantly send a message that that is off limits. And he takes care of that, obviously, given the nature of the Penguins roster, by himself. So Anderson does his thing. Rank makes the call. The call was made. And Anderson starts going off toward the box. He turns around and says something to Sid. And Sid skates in Anderson's direction. Some stuff ends up happening. A bunch of players come around. As Sid pointed out himself, that's not anything that's out of the norm in hockey, obviously. And Rank gives both players a 10-minute misconduct, meaning on top of Anderson's minor for cross-checking. And Sid can't believe this. Sid's not the type to just take a 10-minute penalty and wonder what the hell he got it for. He's going to get an answer, not because he's Sid, not even because he's the captain and he can talk to the ref. 
just because he feels like it's the right thing to do by the game. So he starts following Rank around, even to where Rank was lining up for the next face-off. He was not going to leave the ice, I am here to tell you, from watching his body language down there. And Rank gives him another set of hips, meaning put your hands on your hips. That's a misconduct. Only now it was going to be a game. The first game misconduct in the brilliant, legendary career of Sidney Patrick Crosby, because this nobody decides he wants to show that he doesn't like the Penguins either. So we go into the locker room afterward and fully expecting that Sid wouldn't be around because why would you want to? You know, he already got a game misconduct, by the way. You know, he could have been showered. He could have been dressed and sitting on a bus. Instead, he's still sitting there at his stall, soaking wet, waiting for us, the reporters, to show up so that he can get something off his chest. And this is pretty much what it was. I don't know. I, there's, you know, I think it was Anderson was going to block and saying something to me. So him and I kind of exchanged words and then... Next thing I know, I was told I got a 10, which, I mean, I mean, can I really say what I think anyway? I mean, let's be honest here, so let's... Now, you got to understand, by Sid standards, that's incendiary. That is Sid torching the village to the ground. When, in fact, all he's saying, in essence, is, isn't it ridiculous that we can't even talk about this? Isn't it... Isn't it ridiculous that I can't say anything about how this guy does his job without having it result in even further retribution from that official? Or if and when other officials get wind of it, and they always do, from the rest of them who are going to come to the, the rescue of one of their own. Yeah, this guy's terrible, to answer your question, Tim. But the funny thing is, his whole crew was terrible. His partner was terrible. The two linesmen were terrible. Missed offside. Missed routine offside. Missed icing calls. But having said all that to you and attempting to answer your question, I do feel it's necessary to point out that nothing, officiating-wise, led to the Penguins losing that game. That's not even why we're talking about it. We're talking about it because of Sid's reaction to a specific incident. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one tomorrow from San Jose.